Hello everyone, this is Mark Vina with more insights and strategy. Today is Monday, August 26, 2019. Um, it's a beautiful day in San Jose. The sun is out. Um, I, don't, I don't know what the temperature is, but if it's a, I'm looking at my Apple Watch. It's exactly 73 degrees and there's probably very low humidity, which is what's typical in San Jose. I'm off to uh, IFA in about two or three days in Berlin. It's certainly going to be a fun show and I'm looking forward to that. But uh, before I take off, we've got a, a couple of new members of the More Insights and Strategy team, which um, I'm really delighted to introduce. But I want to dedicate this podcast to kind of bring, uh, introducing them to the More Insights and Strategy audi- audience. Uh, that's a uh, well, one of them is a, a good friend of mine, who a person who I worked with, my God, probably 15, 20 years ago at Compaq. Uh, his name is Ed Ellett. Ed, introduce yourself. Well, hello, Mark. This is Ed Ellett, and uh, hello, everybody. Looking forward to uh, talking here for a few minutes. Great. And we've also got uh, a new member of the team, brand new, uh, at least to me, because I haven't had a chance to meet him personally yet, so I'm meeting him via podcast. Uh, That is Paul Smith Goodson. Uh, Paul's going to be joining the team, actually has joined the team a couple days ago to really cover the quantum computing space, which is, I think, the name of a James Bond movie. No, that was Quantum of Solace, wasn't it? But in any event, uh, Paul, introduce yourself, please. Yeah, thanks a lot, Mark and uh, Ed and uh, everybody that's listening. Yeah, my name is Paul Smith-Gitson, and I will be covering the quantum space uh, here for uh, more insights and strategy. Great. Well, you know, these are, you know, it's funny is, uh, you know, the Pat Moorhead, who, uh, you know, is the, the original founder of the firm has really done, a, I think most people know, has done a remarkable job. And they're in really assembling a first rate team of people. Um, and I'm going to exclude myself because I'm probably an exception. But no, but, but I'll, that's just a joke. I hope it's just a joke. But, uh, but the, um, you know, really, they're really a, a very, very uh, strong stable of, of folks, many of which have, uh, you know, very strong technologies and, and business and product backgrounds. And it's just remarkable to really work with, you know, the caliber of people um, that I get a chance to uh, uh, interface with. So, but with that, you know, let's talk a bit, a bit about Paul's background and a bit about Ed's background. So, Paul, I'm going to kind of tee it up for you first, kind of talk a little bit about your background. You know, you don't have to go back to grammar school or high school, but kind of, you know, kind of give me kind of a flavor for, you know, your um, work experience and how, you know, how you came into the quantum computing space, because that is a very interesting uh, topic, and it's, it's certainly an area that we'll, you'll be providing a lot of help to more insights with. Yeah, well, thanks. Uh, yeah, I, um, my background, uh, I spent a lot of time in, with uh, AT&T, and I was involved in, uh, I was a data engineer for a while. I worked in operations, several operations jobs, uh, a couple of jobs in strategy and in marketing. I also worked for uh, MCI WorldCom, which mm-hmm. was originally uh, CompuServe, and when they split off, um, when they split up uh, uh, CompuServe, uh, AOL took the content side, and uh, I stayed with the network side. Mm-hmm. But for, uh, there, I was involved in a lot of international strategy and developing uh, operational plans for the uh, global data network that we had. Uh, my job was also I had a lot of international uh, negotiation experience with. Uh, the team there. We had a kind of a clunky uh, X25 network, and we were building out uh, IP interfaces uh, all over the, the world at uh, the, the uh, countries like India and uh, South Africa and Vietnam and Thailand and places like that. They were, they were more advanced than we did, and just about virtually everybody had IP networks at the time except, uh, except for us. So we built the interfaces, and that was uh, a way of expanding our service and uh, getting more, more time with the uh, interfacing with customers out there. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. No, no, please go ahead, Paul. It's very, very interesting. Go ahead. 
Yeah, and then uh, WorldCom and uh, MCI, they they uh, they had a little trouble with their their books, and our uh, I think the uh, ex CEO is still uh, in prison, and our CFO <laughs> got out. Uh, needless to say, my uh, my options didn't do very well. <laughs> so. Well, those kind of things happen. You know, it's interesting. Uh, you know, I, we'll get into a lot of details, but I think we've all had kind of uh, exposures with companies sometimes that uh, have have been not as honest as they should be in terms of the way they uh, manage their their bookkeeping, bookkeeping, so to speak. But uh, yeah. But no, seriously, welcome to the team, Paul, and we're very excited because I, I, I myself, I'm fascinated with the, with the quantum computing space. It's a space that that certainly not only does more insight need some focus on that area, but I think it's a topic that uh, even people who are really diehard technologists don't really have a full appreciation because it's a, it's a relatively um, new field. So I think you'll be able to help out enormously with that. But before we get into the into the mechanics of that. Uh, Ed, let's talk about it. About your background um, again. Please don't go back to high school, but uh, you can go back as far as Compact because it's how you and I met. But uh, okay. let's talk a little bit about your about yourself. Sure. Well, I mean, the uh, I've been in high tech my uh, you know my whole career. I got I uh, went to the University of Texas in Austin there as an electrical engineer and a programmer. And uh, when I went to uh, IBM, when and, I and, and, and I'll forgive you for that for for plugging that that, that shameless school. But go ahead. Okay. Um, the, uh, I'm not going to give you a, a complete career rundown here, but the the, uh, the relative to the areas that I'm covering for uh, for the Moore team, mm -hmm. uh, when I was uh, at IBM, a, uh, an IBM fellow, I caught the eye of an IBM fellow, and he was working on an audio-visual uh, computer idea. This would have been back in the mid-'80s, and back then there was no such thing. Nobody was even working on it. There was no audio on a PC uh, mm -hmm. in those days. But... That his theory was is that I was a musician and I was a programmer and I was an engineer and so therefore I'd have a lot of passion for audio and visual uh, computing and turns out he was right. So I got the bug uh, for digital media and entertainment and all the derivatives of, of that uh, back then and it's kind of stuck with me through my whole career, you know, managing workstations and the PC business and, and working with the whole ecosystem of content creation and all the software providers and the cameras and all the mixers and switchers and all those kinds of things. And so um, I've spent most of my career doing that. And then I was, uh, you know, I was responsible for the video conferencing division at uh, Polycom and created the HDX, which was uh, a very successful product line at its time. And so I, uh, and most recently I was the CEO of a of a pro AV uh, unified communications company, private equity health, smaller company, but it's mm -hmm. been in my blood for my uh, for my whole career, and so I've taken some time off, and I started talking with Pat. Decided to join the team here, and you know I'm focusing on digital media and entertainment, and uh, unified communications, and uh, professional audio video, which are those things are all interrelated at some level, uh, certainly right. at the technology level. Right. Um, but it's a very exciting field, and I'm looking forward to working on it, and uh, you know seeing if I can, uh, you know, make some. Uh, <clears throat> make some intelligent comments and advice to our to our customers on this on these topics. Well, you're going to be a big help to us, I think, in that area as well. And I, my, uh, speaking for myself, I have a lot of um, interest in in the professional audio and video work that you'll be doing, Ed, because I've always been a kind of an amateur videographer. And what just amazes yeah. me, it, what amazes me, 
and not we'll get into this probably in a few minutes, but it just amazes me the technology that has come that used to operate purely at the analog level at the at the professional level right. but has now come down to the average consumer or you know call it a you know a an enthusiast some of the technology that you can execute in the video and audio space is truly unbelievable, whether it's multi angle video like a studio or um, just the, the video editing solutions that have been around for you know twenty years are just getting better. So I, I think it's a, a remarkable category, and uh, it just it's an it's a very much an enabling category, you know, for that yeah. that I think will be uh, very interesting for you to follow. Yeah. But but before we get into that, um, Paul, let's talk about quantum computing because you know I was joking before about the whole James Bond, you know, quant I think it was Quantum of Solace. Silas, if I'm not you know, something yeah. like that. It, you're getting yeah. close, right? But you know, the quantum computing category. You know, again, it's. I mean, I know it's not totally new, but it's. It's you know, it's. Um, I think it's it's relatively new. You know, just from a timeline standpoint, if you look at other categories of computing, I don't think it's well understood. You know, from a mainstream standpoint. So, how would you articulate if the average person came up to you and said, Paul? You know, what is quantum computing? Help me define that, you know, in an elevator pitch type of way. How would you go about that? I would just say it's uh, quantum computing using very strange uh, uh, features that only occur at the very smallest level, particle levels like at the atomic level, that mm. uh, affect uh, other, other particles and uh, enable you to uh, uh, con control basically what the input and what the output's going to be. Mm-hmm. And, I first and, got interested in, yeah. in I'll, I'll just say this, I first got interested in quantum computing back in the early 80s. Uh, it was when uh, Richard Feynman gave the, uh, his famous presentation back at uh, MIT when they had the, uh, the first conference on the physics of computation. Mm -hmm. I got really interested and then a couple of years later, then uh, Paul Benioff uh, published a paper and, and really kind of set up the theoretical framework for, for uh quantum computings, and, and I was kind of hooked then. And uh, another kind of benchmark in my memory is, and I, I work for AT&T, of course, I spent a lot of times back at uh, Bell Labs at uh, Murray Hill and places like that. And one of the uh, Murray Hill guys, uh, uh, Peter Shore, back in 94, uh, came up with an algorithm that is actually a very important algorithm even in today's quantum computing. Mm -hmm. uh, that allows you to uh, factor very large numbers. So, so I, I've, I've had a long-standing interest in, uh, in quantum computing and quantum mechanics. Now, from a practical implementation standpoint, the way it will, you know, impact businesses, schools, educate, you know, places of higher learning like uh, um, you know MIT and places like that. What do you think the impact will be? I mean, or the potential of the impact will be in comparison to you know the traditional modes of computing that exist today. So, give us kind of a relative, you know, comparison between you know what people can expect from a potential um, standpoint. Well, yeah. Uh, for, well, first of all, you know, it, uh, we're really in an experimental stage with quantum computing. <laughs> um, I mean, we've got some very small-scale computers, but there's a lot of uh, there's a lot of actual problems with quantum computing now. That in order to scale up to the stuff that's really going to impact uh, the world, um, it's going to take a lot of work. The problem right now is is mainly from a from a noise standpoint, mm -hmm. and quantum computing operates on uh, quantum states and and what are the equivalent of bits in a in a digital computer, and they've got a very they're very fragile. They've got a very short term life, and they're affected by basically anything in the environment, like too many wires, qubits next to them, 
uh, temperature, you know, things like that, and they lose they lose their uh, their uh, quantum state very fast. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, in order to do that, they have to have error correction. And error correction is uh, basically a, for for a large scale computer is going to be like a football size field because you need you know like ten to the third, ten to the sixth uh, uh, physical error correction bits for um, every logical bit. So you can end up with a huge computer. So right. Well, presumably so, yeah. those but presumably those kind of problems though will be overcome. Uh, yeah, uh, you hopefully. know, going forward, right. Right. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. The, they I, will. Yeah. I mean, they, of course, and that you know, it's just uh, today. Today's computers are you know basically a stepping stone, and and mm-hmm. um, you know, and what can what we can expect in the future. So, is, is the primarily is the primary impact going to be a you know reduction in cost, the cost of computing? Uh, no, the, you know, the artificial gonna, artificial intelligence implications. Give give us me a flavor of you know the, the you know the real potential of where quantum computing will play out. Yeah. Uh, well, quantum computing is going to allow us to to uh, to uh, do things that we can't do with classical machines. Classical machines, mm-hmm. some of the the problems we've got might take you know millions of years to solve, and a quantum computer can do it. Uh, if we had a, a you know fault tolerant quantum mm-hmm. computer, could do it in you know a matter of seconds. Right. Uh, there's going to be applications in high tech, um, you know, like bidding strategies for advertising, uh, cybersecurity. Uh, you know, verification, industrial goods has got, you know, they've got a big problem with logistics and scheduling and, and planning, uh, you know, chemistry and pharma. I mean, there's, there's a huge market for that because you could do a lot of uh, simulations. You can model large molecules. Mm-hmm. Uh, right now, we can only, mo- we can only model a, uh, a molecule that's got, you know, just a, a couple of atoms in it. But, you know, when we've got hundreds of atoms in a molecule, uh, you know, it's going to take a quantum computing to do that modeling, and you can do improvements. You can even do, you know, custom designs on on drugs mm-hmm. with uh, quantum computing and trading strategies in financial market. Uh, you know, you can do portfolio optimization, bond pricing, risk analysis, things like that. That's kind of scary. I can't. I can't. A Wall Street trader with a quantum computer. I can only imagine <laughs> yeah. the, the implications yeah. <laughs> of that. Um, let, let me flip the flip it a little bit back to Ed, um, and we'll go back and forth a couple of times. Is that you know Ed? We you know talked about the, about the pro AV category that you're uh, that you're that you're um, covering. The other area that you're covering is the whole digital media and entertainment field, especially the transition that we're going through right now from 2K to 4K and 8K. And you know everybody's got 8K in the brain, except there's not much content out there. For 8K, what's your initial thoughts on the, on that on that transition? You know, as as kind of the world you know goes through that, and you know, everybody wants bigger, bigger, more more resolution. But if you don't have content for it, you know, it's hard to see the value in it. So let's talk a little bit about that. Yeah, well, um, <clears throat> first of all, the you know the uh, I recall back in the uh, back in the mid 2000s or so when HD was coming around. Of course, all these conversations were um, were the same, right? Uh, wh- where are we going to get the bandwidth to deliver uh, an HD content to the average consumer, or how are we going to do the compute to actually do the codecs to do all that work? And mm-hmm. you know, the the demand for this stuff is so high that these solutions they find their way, right? They find a way to come out and. 
And uh, back in 2012, 2013 timeframe, you know, already the uh, the service providers, the the cable operators, and people like that were already experimenting around with 4K, and everybody thought, you know, that was crazy. And so now here we are. Uh, now here we are faced with, uh, and of course, 4K is still not prevalent. It's not like everything is uh, 4K today, but it's well on its way. And so now 8K is coming around. It'll be interesting to see what the things that I want to think through, and 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 uh, and I'm going to. Uh, um, uh, to the broadcast show in Amsterdam here in a couple of weeks, I see. And uh, I am, um, what I'm looking uh, to, to think through is that when you, know, when you have an 8K display and in parallel with that, you have all of the streaming technology that's going on, right? There are so many different sources uh, for streaming. Your ability to start having a, a, a flat panel that displays several streams simultaneously and be able to do that at home in an intelligent way is is a potential you know use for an 8K display that doesn't necessarily require 8K content to fill it up mm -hmm. right because you can use the screen in that in that, that way but yeah mm -hmm. but um, nevertheless I mean it, it's going you know it's going to happen there's going to be you know very niche vertical market applications for 8K initially and then it will horizontally spread itself uh, across and of course uh, you know. Um, when we have uh, fiber coming to everyone's homes and we have uh, 5G around the corner for mobile devices, et cetera, there'll be, uh, you know, the 8K is going to have a, is going to have some interesting, uh, applications. It won't necessarily, I think, be totally just one stream of an 8K coming at mm. you on the big screen. Right. Well, you know, you know, it's interesting, you know, because I'm going to see this at IFA because the last two IFAs I've been to, you know, 8K has been all over the place and, the, you know, the TV guys, the big, big TV guys, they've committed to 8K in a big way. I mean, they're going to get yeah. – I mean, right now the 8K panels are very expensive. Uh, but you've even got value brands like TCL now coming into the market with, you know, with um, – you know, I'm putting air quotes now around affordability, affordable uh, 8K panels. But the, the cost will come down over time. And to your point, you know, the, the, uh, it might be interesting usage models beyond just the conventional, oh, I'm going to watch a movie tonight on a single stream – in AK, you know, it might be, right. there might be other applications. And, I, and, and by the way, you know, the, while, you know, AK really shows up, you have to have a fairly large screen. It's really, you know, from a pixel standpoint, you really have to have a, you know, a 65 inch or 70 inch or greater monitor to really appreciate the, the resolution difference. But, you know, but if anything that's happening today, people are buying larger and larger screens. I mean, the trend's not going yeah. the other way. So that right. will be interesting. That'll be an interesting tailwind. That kind of um, helps AK, but uh, right. no, I, I'm going to probably see AK in the brain in, in Berlin, and I think at the broadcast show that you're going to, I'm sure you're going to see a, a lot of that as well. Yeah, um, I think that um, you know the first of all uh, for digital media entertainment, there's lots of categories uh, for that, and uh, you know just digital signage alone, AK is, I mean that's a big market all oh, by yeah. itself, and oh, yeah, so you can do a lot of you can do a lot of cool stuff. Uh, with 8K monitors, I mean, you know, when you go to Best Buy now for just the average consumer, I mean, uh, you know, getting a uh, two, getting a 2K or a 4K monitor that's in the 65, 60, 55, 60, 65 range, you know, the, it's a very affordable, uh, you know, nowadays. And so, mm -hmm. um, and then you know, we talked earlier about you know professional AV, and I think there's a lot of tools coming out that are going to give um, what if people like yourself. Uh, or myself, for that matter, you know, we're all in this uh, prosumer, somewhat, um, you know, enthusiast crowd as it relates to audio and video related things. But there's a lot of uh, uh, the tools that are available now 
um, can make a, a very small shop of, you know, one, two, three people uh, could do a production on on some event, either, uh, you know, any event, any social event that they were filming or recording and give right. it almost an ESPN, Fox, CBS Sports type of, of, of appearance, right? Yes, I mean, they, absolutely. They actually replicate that. And that's very exciting. And, mm -hmm. uh, you know, when you mix that together with with uh, a lot of the high-end cameras that are coming down into very cost-effective price points and you add in drones and you add in the ability to do all of this and it gets loaded up to the cloud and how fast you can mix it all down and create a stream that everybody in the that's involved in the group, either the family or some organization, can log in and watch it. I mean, that's uh, that's pretty powerful stuff. No, it is. And you know, what's, you know what's interesting is that my uncle, who's been dead now for 15 years. He was a sports editor for NBC Sports in New York for 30 years. And I remember before he passed away, we would chat about kind of the rise of video editing. Now, this is going back about 10 years ago, but, you know, video editing was kind of off the ground back then. And the, when the stories he used to tell about how they would cut everything and edit everything on analog video, I mean, I can't believe, he would probably be, uh, he would be, um, um, overwhelmed with the technology that exists. I mean, for, you know, you can give someone $10,000, even less than $10,000, you know, between the iMac they probably need or a very high-end, you know, Windows uh, PC, a couple of HD, you know, for, uh, HDR cameras, and, you know, th they're off to the races. I mean, you know, you essentially can have a very professional studio, you know, for very, very, uh, for a very modest investment. And I think the impact it's going to have on, on kids you know, because you, when, you, when you're doing professional video, you have to think in a very linear type of way. I think it's going to be remarkable, the storytelling that will be going on, you know, five years from now, just, with, with, just given the capabilities that are out there. Yeah, absolutely. But, uh, let's, let's flip it back to uh, Paul. Uh, we have a few minutes here left. Um, Paul, what do you think, um, uh, do you have, a, are there any recent developments in the, uh, the, the uh, quantum computing space that, you, that's, that, that are interesting? I mean, I'm sure there's a lot of things going on, but one or two things that kind of jump at you that you'd like to yeah, one, yeah, uh, yeah, a couple of things. Google has um, uh, come out with their, uh, their new chip, uh, relatively new chip. Uh, it's called Bristlecon, and it, uh, it's got 72 qubits with, it's equivalent of, you know, 72 bits. And uh, they've also developed a new uh, controller that's reduced uh, the number of wires and everything. I remember I told you that that uh, the qubits are very susceptible to wires and, you know, environmental things. So they've reduced uh, the number of uh, control leads that go into the, uh, to the, uh, to the chip. And it's also inside with the chip. So it's not, ex it's not external to a controller, external to the, uh, to the device itself, so that's mm -hmm. going to help out quite a bit. So that may, that may be. Uh, Google keeps uh, hinting that they're going to uh, achieve quantum supremacy sometime this year. They only have a few months left. Uh, they also said they were going to do it last year, but they didn't. But uh, quantum supremacy is when a quantum computing quantum computer can do uh, calculations that a classical computer can't do. So, what, what so that's, are the, that's kind yeah, of interesting. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, before I flip this back to Ed, um, what, who are the top two or three entities in quantum computing? You, you, know, you talked about Google, but are there other couple of companies that come to mind that you, know, you, that you in, uh, in particular will be focused on? Sure. Uh, well, of course, IBM is involved in quite, quite heavily. Uh, a little company called uh, Rigetti is involved in it. Microsoft, uh, Intel has got their chip out, uh, Tangle Lake. 
uh, and also a company called IonQ that I think is very interesting that <coughs> uses uh, uh, ions to uh, as their qubits, and, and unlike other uh, superconducting chips, they, you know, they can do this at room temperature, and basically they can they can uh, cause an ion to jump to another energy level by focusing lasers on it. So it's mm-hmm. quite a, quite an interesting concept, and uh, it looks like they're going to be going places. I think. Oh, very, it's fascinating stuff. It's really going to be very interesting. Ed, uh, before yeah. we kind of conclude the call, um, any, any couple of topics in your respective area that is kind of like drawing your attention right now in your space? Well, I mean, we didn't talk about the unified communication space. And, uh, you know, in that area, you know, historically that's been dominated by a very small number of uh, players. Uh, it used to be Tamburg and Polycom, and now uh, Tamburg belongs to Cisco, and so Cisco's a major player with WebEx. Mm-hmm. And then uh, uh, Polycom has gone through a few iterations, but now they're a part of uh, uh, Plantronics and Polycom that joined together to be called Poly. And then you have Logitech, and those are the, the there's a, and then you have a whole suite of the unified communications as a service providers like one of them we're using here skype which is microsoft and then there's zoom and then there's a whole bunch of of others i'm uh i'm working i'm going to be working on creating a model where i can sort of put all of the context of how all those players are working together and what their uh value propositions are and how i think if you look back at the at the industry where it was uh, say 10 years ago, where is it right this minute, and where is it going to be in like five years from now with all of those players? How is it all going to shake out? So, I think that's going to be an interesting, an interesting thing to think through. Right. Yeah, and you know it's interesting in that in the, in the UCC space that I find interesting, and I'm not by no means an expert in this, is that you know the tools that you kind of listed out there, Zoom, uh, Skype. Um, there's join me and among other tools, um, yeah. and even and even on a very consumer level, FaceTime. I mean, FaceTime is a is also a communications oh, yeah. tool. You know, the the question I have for you is, what what are your thoughts on you know um, intercompatibility between platforms? Because that's the biggest issue. You know, if you have FaceTime, you can't communicate with Skype. I mean, there's ways of doing it, but it's not seamless. Yeah. You know, do you th- do you think that's a um, a big potential area that's that a lot of these platforms will be pursuing to create broader reach by, you know, embracing more cross compatibility. Uh, cross compatibility. Yeah, the the term that they use in the industry is interoperability, and the mm-hmm. um, and, and if you take Apple, it's kind of a special bird off to the uh, side there for a second. Everyone mm-hmm. else uh, in the industry uses uh, they they do focus on the interoperability aspects of each of them being able to to call each other uh, at some level. And a lot of times that's handled in a cloud server that that basically is behaving like a bridge so that mm-hmm. the, the cloud server knows how to talk to Zoom and Zoom knows how to talk to Skype and then it puts them together and uh, gets you and gets you connected. Those are the type, that's the way it's being addressed, but you're right, interoperability is fundamentally uh, important if you want the whole market to grow, you know, at large, right? I mean, right. We, we would all think it's weird if we had a Apple cell phone, but we couldn't call a Samsung cell phone, right? We would think that's uh, that's bizarre, and so the same thing is true in the in the unified communication space. And, um, and 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 there's you know there's various reasons why some of these these little snafus exist today. But uh, but the long term vision is yeah, it all has to interact with themselves. Right. 
Well, yeah, you know, and, and you know, just getting back to the, the, the you know, the, the always, and they're always the odd duck, you know, Apple with FaceTime is that I, I'm convinced that, you know, Apple doesn't really want a lot of cross-compatibility because they want that as part of the, that they want you to buy an Apple product in their ecosystem <coughs> because they want you to use FaceTime and they're not really that crazy about you embracing it, you know, outside of the Apple ecosystem. Like, for example, right. iMessages, you know, iMessages only works on Apple solutions and I doubt they'll ever have a client you know, that works on Windows um, operating systems or others because they want people to um, buy into Apple. So Yeah, well, that is true, Mark. And I think that, um, and, and uh, obviously I'm not on the inside meeting, so I don't know uh, what the team uh, says over there, but I'm obviously <laughs> a, a long-term industry guy. And I think uh, in Apple, and, and a lot of times they're driven, in my opinion, they're driven by the user experience. And so keeping it somewhat closed allows them to deliver a very high uh, quality and predictable uh, user experience and you know one of the things about the PC is uh, it's open and there's a lot of benefits to that but one of the side effects that's not good is a lot of times a lot of weird compatibility issues occur and there's lots of hangs and things like that and so they inside the Apple environment one of the things they definitely get credit on is how well the watch and the phone and the MacBooks and the iPads how well they all work together Exactly. Uh, exactly. Know, it's pretty. It's pretty high quality stuff there. So it's well thought out, and they try to manage that. But you're absolutely right. The more, as a general rule in the industry, the more open it is, uh, the more successful it is. Yep, that's true. And 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 what they would say, and I, I agree with you 100 percent, is the Apple people would say. But you know, the more open you make it, you know, the the challenge, the, the more challenging it becomes to deliver a, a consistently great user experience. Right. So user experience does get compromised. Right. <laughs> this was, hey guys, this was a great call. Hey, thank you for uh, each of you calling in and spending time um, with me today on the podcast. Um, uh, uh, Paul, how can we find you? What's your email address? Just real quickly, that, so people can track you down. Yeah, my email address is psg at moreinsightsstrategy.com. My initials. So. Great. And Ed. Well, same as uh, Paul, except you put Ed at uh, moreinsightsstrategy.com. Until we hire another Ed, and then there'll be Ed number two. Yeah. <laughs> no, we'll have a Mr. Ed and the other Ed, whoever that is. <laughs> well, hey, guys, thanks for calling in today. We really appreciate your time. Thanks to the entire More Insights and Strategy audience for listening in on today's podcast. Please follow us and our usual social media partner suspects at Facebook, LinkedIn, and Twitter. And until next time, have a great weekend. Mm -hmm.